Mac Power Users, episode 340, Getting Things Done Workflows with Mike Williams. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside my pal, David Sparks. Hello, David. Hi, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm great. You know, this is an episode that I've been looking forward to, something that I really needed. And uh, you must have known that when you scheduled our very special guest for this episode. Yeah, well, you know, you've got this big change in your life. So uh, we thought we'd just bring the real world to you. And when when you need a tune up with your with your GTD, there's probably no one better to go to than Mike Williams. Mike is the president and CEO of David Co., uh, the David Allen Company. Welcome, Mike, to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Now, we've had David Allen on our show a couple of times. And for those of you who aren't aware, David Allen is the man behind the Getting Things Done methodology. And Mike, tell us a little bit about who you are and and what you do now at David Co., because that has become not just a book, but an entire brand. Right, certainly. So, um, so as you mentioned, I'm the president and CEO of the company, but let me just take a step back from that, because if you're in our company, we're actually a self-organized organization. So, so once you're in the David Allen company, I actually work for everybody and, and we organize around the work and, and not around peoples and titles. So at the company, you know, probably similar to what you're experiencing, we're, we're a small business with a huge brand and a great intellectual property. Um, and we're out there in the world, both here in the United States through the David Allen Company, and we've got international franchisees all over the world. We've got 20 of them country, covering about 60 countries. So we've got a whole team out there. And then um, we've got a whole grassroots um, you know, team of practitioners in every corner of the world, in every industry, I've never run across so many passionate people. And uh, back in 2008, when I had a chance to go to the GTD World Summer in San Francisco before I even joined the company, it was the first time I ever experienced a, a, a summit experience, like a conference experience where nobody was you know, leading with their titles or anything like that. They're all leading with like, how do you do it? How do you set up your list? How's it working for you? And everybody searching for tips. And I just loved that experience. And that was everything from three-star generals down to small business owners, to moms, to teachers. And, you know, the common thing and common theme is everybody's got a lot of stuff to deal with. And as you know, and as you talk about in your show, um, over time, technology has just given us more options. Technology has accelerated the amount of information coming at us. So the sense of overwhelm hasn't really decreased. If anything, it's increased. And you know what we do is we help people um, decide how to be appropriately engaged with their world. That's kind of the core of what GTD does. So going back to what I do, you know, within the business, uh, I work on strategy. I work on growth and viability as part of some of my higher level roles. I also do uh, business development for the business. Um, I do speeching, speeches, training, and workflow coaching. So I'm out there working with people 
CEOs uh, to six-year-olds. <laughs> and and also do some webinars, some podcasting. So a bit of a bit of everything. It's very dynamic. And the work that we do is infinitely fascinating because I get the privilege of sitting shoulder to shoulder with people and just watching content move out of their heads onto a piece of paper and into their trusted system, whatever that is. So whatever I have to bring to bear for the Mac Power users and to this conversation, it's all yours for the picking. So that's a little, little bit about what I do. Well, Mike, I, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show and David's been a great guest, but um, when I was talking to you, uh, one of the things I noted is that you are just a, a geek like the rest of us as well. And, um, and I really wanted to hear from somebody who teaches this stuff on a regular basis, but also routinely wears the nerd hat, you know, and that, and that's a compliment in this room. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's start a little bit with your credentials uh, on that side. Uh, you're a big user of Apple gear, right? Yeah. So as I look at my desk and I'll describe my cockpit. Okay. So, um, so if you go from left to right, I'll start with the physical part of my world. I've got a physical inbox on the left side of my desk. And then if you scan over to the middle of my desk, I got a Mac book pro. Um, I've got a retina external display and I'm connected up, you know, here with a microphone for this conversation. And then if you go to the right side of my desk, I've got a ScanSnap iX500, which helps me get the paper into digital. And I've got an iPad Pro with a pen. And um, I don't know whether to thank you, David, or curse you, but <laughs> you talked me into that. No, actually, I've been loved. Now, now, do you have one iPad Pro or two iPad Pros? I've only got one iPad Pro, but we have multiple iPads in the house. I just spoke to another friend this morning who's a listener of the show, but also just a friend who said, yeah, thanks a lot. You cost me a thousand dollars on this stupid iPad Pro that I'm using every day now. Exactly. Using every day. That's good, though. Now, now are you are you said you've got a MacBook. Are you a single Mac guy or you've got, you know, multiple Macs in your life? I am a single Mac guy. So so this is my office cockpit. And then if I'm on the road. And I do travel a lot, so any road warriors out there might appreciate this. My cockpit on the road is my physical inbox gets replaced with a red infolder that that we have, a plastic one, robust one. And then I just have my MacBook Pro. And then I also have an iPhone success, so I, I failed to mention that. But when I'm on the road, that becomes my scanner for very simple things to scan. Yeah. And then then I do carry my iPad Pro with me. And my iPad Pro is um, largely a, a drawing device that I use to help um, explain things and take data and put it into simple pictures uh, to help see the patterns in, in the information and share it with others. Well, well, let's drill down on that just for a minute. Um, mm -hmm. the, um, what are you using to explain that a little bit further? Okay. So um, there is a gentleman, his name is Dan Rome, and Dan wrote a book called The Back of the Napkin, and he's got a couple others. Uh, second one's blah, blah, blah. Third one's show and tell, and he's got a new one coming out called Draw to Win. Now, uh, Dan is a phenomenal guy, consultant, smart as heck. And um, so what he learned through all his consulting career was um, whoever draws the best picture gets the funding. 
You know what? The, 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 I bet there's some truth to that. You know, and if you um, if you Google Dan Rome, the the affordability, the affordability act, Obamacare, he's got a beautiful presentation where he took that. I forget how many hundreds or thousands of pages that law is and distilled it down into pictures and describes them in pictures. And it's one of the most viewed videos um, out there on Vimeo. It's, you'll find it on Vimeo. So, so Dan's work has been a wonderful influence on me. I think I tend to be a visual thinker, and I and I tend to work with lots of data with strategy and try to distill it down to to see the patterns and to see where we want to go and why would we want to go there. So Dan's work is really great with that. So so now I, the the problem I had in the Mac ecosystem was how could you do really good drawings. And um, prior to the MacBook Pro, you had... I mean, iPad Pro? I mean, the iPad Pro. Yeah. You had, um, you say, the iPad 2 and say you had the pencil from 53 or something like that where you could draw on it or some kind of stylus. But it really wasn't that good. Yeah. And PowerPoint really hadn't come that far. And with the iPad Pro and with the new PowerPoint tool and suite on there that that you can get for free it's got wonderful drawing tools so now what i tend to do is i use the ipad pro and i use powerpoint on the ipad pro to draw the pictures that i need to draw to import the images that i need to import and then if i need to collaborate or share or show you know we're largely a virtual company and many times when i'm working with a client they're virtual what I do is I hook up the iPad Pro via the USB to the MacBook Pro. And then using QuickTime, you can actually display your iPad Pro. Yeah. So anything I draw on there shows for my client to see. So I actually had a wonderful session with a client this morning where we're working through strategy, trying to distill down the frameworks that he's going to use, the things he wants to see in his weekly review. And I did the series of pictures on my on my um, iPad Pro and with his input. We collaborated on it. And then I have, number one, an artifact from the conversation that I could send to him. And then number two, it just created something beyond the, the verbal narrative for people to hang their attention on. And it seems to raise the engagement tenfold from my experience. Yeah. Now, so you're, but you're doing the drawing in PowerPoint. Correct. Yeah, well, that, that kind of makes sense because Microsoft, we haven't really talked about it on the show, but Microsoft has some really impressive drawing tools to the Office suite on iPad, the iPad Pro. If you've got a pencil, it's it's actually quite useful. I never really thought of it that way. I do a similar workflow with MindNode, the mind mapping application, because a lot of my meetings involve development of a contract or some type of transaction we're working on where um, we'll talk about the issues of concern and, and I create a mind map on the screen that the client witnesses me make. And then at the end, I send it to them as a PDF from MindNode, which has a similar effect. It's very useful. They can sleep on it. The next day, they may have some feedback and they really understand it a lot more than if I gave them an outline or a bunch of words on a page. So uh, true. Yeah. So, but you, I've never thought about doing it in PowerPoint. That's interesting. So now do you have a custom PowerPoint presentation you work from when you do these items? 
well, there's there's two different modes you can you can use. One is if I'm explaining something or teaching something, I might have 60% of the PowerPoint ready to go and then draw in the rest. Because once you go in display mode in PowerPoint, you can still use a pen to highlight the things that you want to highlight. So that's one strategy. Or in this case from this morning, if I just need a piece of paper to write on like a whiteboard or something like that with a client, I just used uh, you know the, the white template and just use that. So that's what I did this morning. All right. Um, but but like you, I you know I use that tactic for very specific things. But many times I'm in Mind Manager. That's that's the mind mapping tool that I use, and doing very similar stuff to what you're doing. And then how I use Mind Manager or some of these tools is informed by the GTD practice. It is interesting though that you would choose to like. So you're not really working from an existing presentation. Sometimes you're just using from a blank canvas, but you choose to do it in, um, in, in PowerPoint, because that's the tool you're comfortable with. When you're done, are you now, when you're making the drawing while you're talking to the client, are you, do you have it connected to QuickTime? Are you running a video at that point? I am. Okay. So, and just to to be clear for everybody, um, when you're doing that, it's almost like screencasting your iPad. It's, it's running a video while he makes the drawing. Correct. And then, and you're recording your audio as well, I take it? Um, I'm not recording anything at that point. I'm just displaying it. I, have, I haven't even hit the record button on QuickTime. Okay. So w- w- why is it connected to QuickTime at that point? Are you sharing it somehow so they can see it remotely? Correct. So we use GoToMeeting, or, or you could use WebEx, or I don't know if you could use Skype, probably. Anything where you can display your, your um, desktop and then they're seeing it on the other end as I draw. Sure. And if they were in the same room with you, you would just have it on the table and you'd draw on it and you'd be fine. True. And, and or if you need a more real estate area, you could uh, flash it up to your, you know, my large screen uh, retina external display or to a TV or anything like that. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I just wanted to kind of get it all clear in my head. All right. Continue. In describing with pictures, my main tools are the ones that I described. I've got PowerPoint on the iPad Pro, the USB connected. I use QuickTime, GoToMeeting for virtual meetings, and that creates a remote drawing tool. Now, in GoToMeeting or any of that, I could hit record and have the audio and the, the pictures display and always you know, grab that and send that to a client if needed or use it for my own reference. And then the other thing I like about drawing is sometimes when I'm drawing and figuring things out for clients, they become the seed for for new little coaching widgets that I can refine over time. So so I've got an artifact that I could use and maybe write about or publish about or talk about in the future, which is always fun. Let's go ahead and close the loop on the iPad Pro as well. Are you, are you doing other like productivity style work on iPad Pro or is it mainly for the pencil support that you're using it? It is mainly for the pencil supports. I just downloaded Scrivener uh, for the iPad Pro. Um, Another big project that I'm working on is um, I'm working with another, uh, with David and another gentleman. We're writing a book, uh, GTD for the the teenagers and students. So, So a big, large writing project. I really appreciated your last podcast. 
is, you know, I've been on Scrivener for a bit. I got it on the iPad Pro format. I think I like that. It's very coffee shop compatible. And the ability to just pick that up, go, have a very simple environment is very attractive to me as a writer. And, you know, the other thing I found with my devices is I can segment devices out for certain purposes. And my brain likes that. So I might just say my iPad Pro is drawing and writing. I might say my Mac is is for email and a lot of other stuff. And then my iPad 2 that's upstairs next to my bed is just for video. So, you know, that way I, I can simplify what I see on the iPad and not, you know, be tempted or distracted into other areas. So I use the theory of constraints with each of the device to see what I only need to see. I, you know, I, I've heard from several users that do that where they will have certain like types of work they do on different platforms of devices. I'm guessing there's some science behind that somewhere that, you know, with our brains, it, it helps trigger you into whatever mode you need to be. Like if you're doing your, you're writing your Scrivener project on the iPad and that's almost all you do with it. When you pick it up, maybe it kind of helps get you a little jump start to start doing that stuff. Um, but for me personally, I like to be able to do anything on everything, but, um, but you're not alone. I I've heard a lot of people talk about that. Katie, do you have like uh, certain tasks that you only do on certain devices? Yeah. Like for example, the iPad is pretty much my news reader and, and consumption device for, for news. I'll do a lot of my, all my Insta paperwork, all of my reader work. That's all on the iPad. Um, so that those are things that I, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I exclusively do on the iPad, but in some of it's time and place, but those are, those are activities that I will defer until I get to the iPad. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by MindNode. MindNode makes mind mapping easy. Learn more at mindnode.com. I'm so pleased to welcome MindNode as a sponsor to the Mac Power Users. I've been using MindNode for years. I love this application because it makes it so easy to use visual planning with your projects. Mind maps are a visual representation of your ideas. They start with a central thought and grow from there. I always knew mind maps could help me brainstorm and organize my thoughts in a better, more intuitive way, but I always got hung up on exactly how to get started. MindNode is the perfect entry point for you. It's a delightful application for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. It syncs its data over iCloud, so you've got your data no matter which device you're on. And most important, MindNode takes all of the work out of creating beautiful, helpful mind maps. With MindNode, you just tap in an idea and start from there. The interface is super easy to learn, and once you start doing it, it becomes second nature. MindNode has an infinite canvas, so you can just keep growing your ideas as much as you need to, and it also handles all the layout for you. With MindNode, your mind map even automatically arranges itself, so nothing gets in your way. The application is reasonably priced, so you can get it on all your devices, and so simple, you can use it without reading a manual. If you'd like some help with the application, I created five video screencasts showing how I use MindNode to cook ideas. We'll go ahead and link that in the show notes. We've talked about MindNode in the past and heard from some listeners with some really clever uses for the application. One user uses MindNode as her task management system. Because it has the ability to add checkbox to items inside your MindNode, she just sets up her task list right there. 
So you can check it off from any device and add to it at will. If you need a little bit more horsepower, MindNode can also integrate with other task systems. So either way, you're covered. But my big point today is that mind mapping can really make a difference in the way you plan out your projects in your life and get your work done. MindNode is an excellent entry point to get started with this stuff. It's not that difficult, and I promise you won't regret it. So head over to MindNode.com and check out my favorite mind mapping application, MindNode. And thank you, MindNode, for sponsoring the Mac Power Users. Mike, let's talk about GTD a little bit. You know something about that, right? I know a little bit about that. <laughs> I don't know. I still still have a beginner's mind about it, though. <laughs> I think we all do. I think we all do, brother. Um, so how did you initially, I mean, you didn't start off as uh, president and CEO of David Co., you know, and start learning GTD. Obviously, at some point, you stumbled into this stuff. True. Yeah. What was your path? So my path was um, in 2004, my brother-in-law was down in New York City at JFK Airport waiting for a friend to arrive from the airport and he was perusing through the book rack and he picked up this book, getting things done and started looking through it and said, Oh, that's pretty interesting. And I know Mike, you know, he's always trying to figure out how to organize and optimize. So he might like this. So he picked up the book and, and gave me the book. Um, at the time I was living in Burlington, Vermont. So I got the book and I started, I started reading it on a Saturday and I, I read the whole thing over the weekend. I was absolutely in the right place at the right time to receive this information. You know, back backing up in the early nineties, I was I was and continue to be a big fan of Dr. Stephen Covey's work. And he really helped with the higher horizons like the purpose, the mission, roles and responsibilities. But the, the, the area that was still falling apart and hadn't been addressed, and I kept on reinventing systems, was around what David called the runway level. So, you know, all the next actions, the projects and the physical stuff, the emails and all that kind of stuff that captures your attention. Did you start out with the Franklin Planner? I still have it. I love my cowhide. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, you know, the patina on it's just perfect. Yeah. So I, it's like, I think it was Hiram Smith. Was that the guy's name? I forget his name. Hiram was his first name. There's a guy who wrote the book about the Franklin Planner system before they merged with Franklin Covey. Then when they became part of Stephen Covey. But I followed a similar path with you. But, but then eventually you found GTD. Yeah. So, um, so the book, once I read the book, it was like lightning coming down from the sky and up from the ground and it just met. So everything made sense. So right after that, I went back to my office. I was working in healthcare information technology at the time, working on a lot of different projects. And at, at the point in my career where, where I was, had a lot of responsibilities, people reporting to me and, and just a lot going on. So I took two days and threw my whole office into my inbox and processed it all through the GTD methodology. And what came out of that was my first crappy attempt at GTD. <laughs> and, um, and, but the most significant thing that came out of that was the start, like Katie earlier, I think, yeah, I don't know if it was on air or off air, you're talking about going back to the gym. So going, going back to the gym is like a practice. Practicing martial arts is like a practice. Now I had something to practice for my knowledge work. It, it is so simple that I had to prove it wrong as fast as I could. 
and I, and I still am trying. And, um, and it's so practical that it just led me on this never-ending practice. So GTD is not a destination. It's more like a mindset, skill set, tool set that you use. And that's the most beautiful thing for me about GTD is the fact that I have something to practice. So when I get out of control, I know exactly how to get back into control. And then as I work the practice, you know, whatever's got my attention, you know, back in 2004 has been cleared away. So something else that was waiting to be discovered behind that could be discovered. And once I cleared that away, something was waiting behind that to be discovered. So it's this very interesting journey to, to more discovery about yourself. And um, it's just been wonderful. So, um, so that's how I found GTD. How I met David was I was working at General Electric at the time, and I called the company to inquire about services. Ended up talking to David's wife, Catherine. Catherine and I had a nice conversation. And then she said, you should talk to David. And so I talked to David and David, uh, we have this service called GTD Connect, which is uh, a subscription service that people can sign up for, all kinds of great stuff happening there. And David does interviews. So I'm one of those interviews. And then um, then that started my journey around 2004. You also had blogging taking off. So I started a blog, um, started writing about GTD at the time. David had the, the summit in San Francisco, invited me to come out and speak. And then every so often he'd get to the Northeast and invite me to uh, one of his seminars and even invite me out into conversations with him and clients. And then around 2010, this is about after 22 years in healthcare IT career, um, my wife and I had a conversation. We we're living in the Northeast at the time, and it was a visioning conversation. So one of the things that GTD does at the higher horizons, you know, what do you want the future to look like? So she's like, well, I've been in the Northeast a long time. I'd like to move someplace warm. And then uh, I think my contribution was, hey, I'm working at this big, large company, GE, love it, but I would love to get back to a small company that's doing really cool work. So fast forward about three months, David invited me down to uh, Boston, invited me out to lunch and said, hey, you know, we're looking for a CEO. You're at the top of our list. We're wondering if you'd be interested. It would involve a move out to California and all this kind of stuff. So what do you think? So at that point, I said, hey, definitely interested. Let's talk about it, see if we can work something out. So uh, we played with ideas. We worked something out. So I moved my family and I out to California um, in 2012. So I had two kids at the time, one in eighth grade, one in fourth grade. And we've been out here ever since and started my journey with the company there. Now, between that time, you must have become, you know, to catch David Allen's attention, you must have somehow become a GTD master or guru. What happened in between there? Something must have happened. Well, I think the mastery comes from just, um, I was telling David, I, you know, I love GTD before I joined the company, love GTD with the company. And if I'm ever outside the company, we'll continue to love GTD and share it. I think that's one of the things you'll find with some of the GTD practitioners, we just have just, you know, feel like we've discovered something and need to share it with people. So I was teaching, coaching, spreading the book, spreading the word, spreading the news, blogging about it. I would send a blog to David every once in a while, a post, 
and he's got 1.2 million Twitter followers. So he would tweet it and my blog readership would go off the chart and then go back down. And, uh, you know, I, I just think over time that a relationship developed and and what David wanted at that moment in time was a CEO that understood GTD and uh, could work from a really authentic place with uh, the intellectual property to, to see where we could go with it next. And in addition to that, he wanted somebody who could work within this new framework called Holacracy, self-organizing organization, and play within that. So, you know, I think I fit a lot of the different criteria that he was looking for. Um, and my practice just became my practice. So back at GE, um, I actually uh, used a lot of the, the GTD tools when we got the company I work for got acquired by GE and we had to do some integration. I used the horizons of focus tool, the purpose, vision, goals, areas of focus, projects, and next actions to help us merge two service two services teams. And I documented what I did, shared that with David. So it just kind of showed that this work can hold all kinds of complexity very elegantly. Um, and I just think those stories just said, hey, you know, if I'm going to bet on a guy, he might be a good bet. And let's, let's see where it goes. Well, I think um, what I'd like to do for this show, because we um, I'll tell you my GTD, my first reaction to it was negative because everybody was so like excited about it. And it felt to me like a cult. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I, I was resistant to it until I finally said, OK, I'll just read the book so I can tell everybody why they're crazy. And now I use it. That's I, I, I credit these types of techniques and they come out on the show. We don't try to make this a show about GTD, but it definitely, I use these, these tools and I, that's the reason why I feel like I can have simultaneously a publishing business, a law business, a family business, you know, all the other things I do. And, um, and what, what I'd like to do for today's show is I want to get in the weeds a little bit with somebody who lives with GTD as much as you do. You know, you're a, a, a well-regarded teacher of this stuff. But you're also a geek. And and when we we had a phone call before we did, uh, did the show, and one of the things that stood out for me is you have gone really deep with some of the technology of how to put this stuff in place, which I think is of interest to a lot of listeners of our show. But you also use some of the analog tools, too, and you seem to have found a nice balance uh, between the two. And I think that's something a lot of us are struggling with. So let's talk a little bit in the weeds now about how do you implement GTD in your life? So probably the best way to hang it is GTD has something called the five steps, which is you capture information, you clarify, it, you organize it so you can reflect against it and engage appropriately. So those are the five steps. So, um, so my tools are this. So on the capture phase, and capture is really about capturing anything that has your attention and then just very simple buckets to gather that information. So on the physical side of things, the analog side of things, I have a very simple system. I have, you know, something I purchased before I joined the company that David produced, which is called a note taker wallet. So in my wallet, it's very simply a pad of paper and a pen that fits in a wallet. It's always with me. So if I'm out in the grocery store and I have a great idea about this podcast, I would write it down. Um, and then I'd bring it back, rip it off and put it in my inbox. Yeah. So it's just a simple way to write a note down anywhere in the world. And correct. 
And then it's a physical, you have a physical inbox somewhere in your life that you put those scraps of paper in. Right on the left side of my desk. And then if I'm in a call with a client and I'm taking notes, I take it also on paper and then put it in my inbox. And then before I go to bed at night, I have a pad of paper by my bed. So if I have any thoughts before I go to bed that I need to capture it so I can get a good night's sleep or I wake up at three in the morning, I got something by my bed where I can capture a thought. So so those are my analog tools. And what I like about analog is it it's fast, it boots up, and you don't have to work through an interface. Is that the only way you capture? No, no. So then on the physical, on the, on the digital side, so if I'm at my computer and you walk in and say, hey, Mike, can you buy some bread for me? I would go into Omni and just do the quick entry into OmniFocus to capture something in my inbox really quick that way as well. So I have digital inboxes as well as physical inboxes. Um, or if I'm walking down the road and I have an idea and I don't have anything to write with, I can use Siri to send uh, you know the, the series to reminder to Omni interface is very helpful. Um, the the other ones I have are I might take a picture of something and then send it to myself. I certainly have stuff that's auto capturing all the time, such as email, text, and things like that as well. Let's talk about captures a little bit longer. When you get an when you get an email that turns into a task that you want to capture, what do you do? Okay, so for everything that's now captured and needs to be uh, clarified or processed, you go through the clarify step. So, uh, you know, that is, that's the one step. If you watch somebody doing GTD, you wouldn't see them doing anything other than scrunching their brow and saying, hey, is this actionable? Yes or no. And if yes, so to, let's, let's say this is something that's yes, then I would register the outcome of that thinking in OmniFocus. And I would either turn it into an action and or a project if it's associated with something bigger. If it's not actionable, but something I want to retain, all my non, most of my non-actionable stuff goes into Evernote. So actionable, yes, for me, goes into OmniFocus. That stores my projects, my next actions, my waiting fors, my agendas. And then my actionable, no, most of it goes into Evernote, but it's also, you'll also find some of this in Dropbox and, and other areas. Um, so that, like, at a macro level, that branch, actionable yes or no, just lands in two major systems, Omni or Evernote. Yeah. So I'll pause there just for a second to see if you have any questions about that. Okay. I want to tie the analog back into it now. So you get to the end of the day and you've got your inbox with a lot of scraps of paper in it. Where do those tasks go? Great. So here's what it looks like visually if you're watching me. I pick up a piece of paper out of my inbox and I ask myself, what is it? Just to say, hey, what's this crazy note I captured? Oh, buy dog food. Cool. Is this something I want to take action on? Yes or no. And I'm doing this thinking really fast and I'll say, yes, I want to buy dog food. And then what I'll do is I'll put the piece of paper down, launch OmniFocus uh, and say, get dog food. And I will categorize that on my errands list and then boom, throw that piece of paper away. So dog food is handled. It's on my list and I can go, when I go to the store, pick up dog food. Yeah. And a word to the wise, doing this immediately or within 24 hours is a, is a key feature of one of these systems where you go analog into digital because 
if you wait a week and you pick up a piece of paper and it says Joe nine four nine one two three four five six seven, you know, you have no idea why you have Joe's somebody named Joe's first name and a phone number written down. It's just <laughs> so true, so true. So uh, yeah, you want to capture that quickly. Uh, one of the the nerd tips I use, I used to carry a um, what was it, a Field Notes book. You know, Field Notes is a kind of a hipster brand of little notebooks they're great you know makes me feel like indiana jones they say field notes on them you know (laughs) but the uh but drafts the drafts app got so quick for capture that i do most of it there but but even now like someone hands me a business card i may write a couple words on the back of it and then do the same thing at the end of the day i capture the business card i turn it over to see what the reason why i kept this card was and maybe it turns into a task or just a, a reference document so I have a question about your analog system, and it's, of course, about Evernote. Okay. Let's let's go kind of without getting too deep into the woods. Tell me a little bit about how you're organizing your documents in, in Evernote, um, you know, the folder and, and hierarchy structure. How, how granular are you getting in there, or are you just dumping it in? So by the time it gets to Evernote in my system design, I already know this is not anything I want to take action on. Okay. So it's, it's Evernote for me is very simple. It's, it's either reference, a list, or a checklist of some sort. So, um, so with Evernote, I have it set up very simply. I only have three notebooks. One is reference for uh, my professional stuff. One is reference for my personal stuff. But the main notebook that I have is this one I call stream, like a stream of consciousness, anything that captures my attention. So if I'm out and about and something just captures my attention um, and it's not something I need to take action on, I'll just capture it uh, via the um, the iPhone. I can take a photo of things or I can, you know, web clip, all that kind of stuff. And then what I do is I've optimized Evernote in my world, in my system for retrieval. So instead of doing hierarchical kind of things. I've optimized Evernote for retrieval. So I tag a lot of stuff. I can search, you know, very specifically on, um, you know, keywords and things like that. And then through the tags, I've also used them to create standard searches for certain things. Like if I want to see a whole list of my quotes, I tag everything quotes and I have a search that will bring up the whole list of quotes if I want to see those. Or if I want to search for a list of all my lists, I've got anything that is a list or a checklist, I have a tag associated with it. So if I ever want to see a whole list of my lists, I can do a stored search in Evernote to find that. So that's primarily how I use it. It's it's largely retrieval. It's largely reference. It's largely lists. It's largely checklist. I do do a little distillation work. In um, in Evernote, every so often I'll take an article, and one of the features I like in Evernote is you can make it plain text, very simple text, and then what I'll do is I'll go, I'll read an article once, and then I will bold the things that capture my attention, and then for everything that was in bold, I will go back with a highlighter and highlight the things that are really the main points that capture my attention. And then if I'm really ambitious, I'll go back up and do like a five-point summary of why this thing resonated with me. 
and then that that becomes a uh, a piece of reference material that's been distilled through my thinking process that I can use for for later use if if I choose to do so. I think you you're wise to use um, tags with Evernote. It seems like that's the way to go if you get a lot of things you're indexing. True. Have you ever seen the application The Brain? Have you ever worked in that? We've had several listeners refer to me. At least I, I have. Um, I've got an OmniFocus entry saying "check out The Brain." It shows up about every month or so, and I haven't done anything about it. So you caught me. Yeah, it's a brilliant. It's a brilliant app. The the thing that keeps me from being in it full time is it. It's not doesn't go across the platforms and. And you have to very much curate that app um, with your content, and the overhead was a little too much for me. And I, and I could achieve largely the same result with with Evernote for the purposes that I needed. So tags helped me just be really freeform with what this stuff meant to me because I could, you know, tag something like Scotch, and I could tag it. You know, you know, a drink. I could tag it to the, to the part of the world that was of interest to me, or the person who who um, referred me to this scotch. So now, when I look up that person, I'll see that scotch entry. Uh, when I when I want to see my scotch entries, I can see that entry. So it allowed me to pivot in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that, and that's really the promise of tags that hasn't really been fulfilled. I think at this point, but. But if, if it's working, you know, multiple indexes or multiple ways to get at the same file, that's the way it should be. David, can I go back? I just want to go back to Capture to a point that you made um, in Capture that, you know, the the point was emptying your ins every, you know, 24 to 48 hours. Um, and what we see from our knowledge work perspective to, to keep current is you probably need to spend between... Uh, you know, 45 to to 90 minutes a day processing your ins to stay current with all the stuff that's coming at you. That that's you know. So when I do my GTD practice, I I, pra- I have a Pomodoro timer that I downloaded the app that sits on my bar, and I can do 15 minutes of processing practice. You know, as I process, you know, take things from my inbox, clarify and organize it, um, I'm getting work done. But more importantly, I'm trying to hit those those three to six, uh, 15 minute cycles that I need to hit within the day. And why did I do that? I did that because I wanted to avoid snacking on my email, you know, and snacking on my inbox. I just wanted to have a really pure practice. Or like, okay, here I am processing, you know, stuff out of inbox through the thinking process and organized. And at the at the end of 15 minutes, I give myself a high five and say, that's a win. So are you doing those all in one sitting at the end of the day, like 15 minutes in morning, noon and night? Uh, or how, how do you keep from getting distracted of, boom, there's an email or wow, there's a piece of paper in my inbox or um, and and just processing all the time. Those those practices are sprinkled throughout the day, and and the more advanced that you get with GTD, anytime you have like a little pause, you're just cleaning stuff up. So what happens to people at the beginning of their GTD journey? They've got something we call backlog, 
They got a backlog of email. They got a backlog of stuff on their mind. They got a backlog of papers to, to process. So that's going to take time. And you can triage that and come up with strategies to handle that. But let's pretend you've been practicing for three months now. Your, your backlog is a lot lower. So your ability to handle the incoming is a lot more efficient. So these little batches of clarifying and organizing get easier. At the beginning, there, there's a little you know, learning curve and you got to train your nervous system to just do it. And then once you, once you get into it and your system becomes a trusted system, then it's not so much effort. You know, what I see is it's kind of a new behavior at the beginning for folks. And, you know, the pitfall is they let stuff sit in their email too long or the physical inbox too long. Once they practice for a period of time, they, they just have their own special cycles of how they handle it. I want to thank 1Password for their continued sponsorship of Mac Power users. You can learn more about 1Password and their brand new 1Password hosted service by visiting onepassword.com. So, you know, earlier this year, 1Password introduced 1Password for teams and 1Password for families. And at the base of all that was a brand new 1Password hosted service. The way that the teams and family products worked is they both relied on a new hosted platform to bring new features that just weren't possible when 1Password was a standalone app. And that brought awesome things like automatic sync across all devices, data loss protection, web access, and more. Well, what about us individual users who maybe don't share our 1Password information with our families or don't have a team? We don't want to feel left out from one of those features. So 1Password is bringing 1Password for individuals at, to their new hosted service as well. So if you're on an individual hosted plan, it comes with all the features that you would expect from 1Password, like automatic sync, data loss protection. You get web access to all of your data on 1Password.com. You get item history for restoring any deleted or changed items. You get space to store all of your secure documents. And you get a brand new multi-factor security model. And best of all, it's got a super affordable plan. You get all the benefits of 1Password.com and all of the new features, including access to apps across every platform and all of the pro features that go with them, and free updates and free upgrades to every new version of 1Password all for $2.99 a month. It is the simplest and most affordable way to start using 1Password. Oh, and by the way, that subscription service is, is never going to lock you in. You can cancel at any time. And if your subscription ever lapses, you'll still be able to view and export your data. So there's no lock in. And of course, because it's 1Password, they have got an amazing launch special. If you sign up today, you will receive your first six months for free. And that offer is good from now until September 21st. So time is ticking away from there. So head over to onepassword.com, sign up for your OnePassword account now. You can start using the service for free for six months. So if you haven't had an opportunity to try OnePassword yet, this is the ultimate time to do so. So thanks to OnePassword and Agile Bits for their longtime support of Mac Power users. Mike, you know, one of the things you said earlier was 45 to 90 minutes a day processing inbox. And I know people listening to this are going like, I don't want anything to do with something that's going to take me an hour and a half just to get started on step one of five every day. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking I don't have that kind of time. Yeah, <laughs> Damn. I I would um, 
I, you know, having, we've talked about, we've danced around GTD on the show quite a bit over the years. And I get emails occasionally from people saying, Hey, you know, I tried it. It just doesn't work for me because it's just too time intensive to manage one of those systems. And I feel like that one of the big problems and one of the themes of our show, not just in regard to GTD, but all uses of productivity and technology is this trap people fall into that I can't say enough that, you know, you get technology and you feel like you can run the world because, you know, OmniFocus is a great example. OmniFocus can easily manage 10,000 tasks. You know, you can put 10,000 tasks in it and you're great. Can you do 10,000 tasks? Probably not, you know, unless those are very, very easy tasks and you have a lot of time on your hands. And I think a lot of problem people have is biting off more than they can chew. I mean, if you wake up every day and you've got, um, you know, 10 gallons of water to put into a five gallon bucket, you are not going to be happy. At the end of the day, you're going to have five gallons of water on the floor. It just doesn't matter what tool you use. Um, how do you see Omni, uh, well, not necessarily OmniFocus, but just GTD and technology weighing in on that issue of how you decide what to keep and what not to keep? Um, good point. And, and going back to the, the you know, the 15, uh, the 60 minutes a day, that gets you from capture to clarify to organize. So now it's in your system. And, um, and, and the whole goal of that is to get clear and get current so that once you register it in your system, and this is the, the, the piece that starts to show up, and to your point, once you start having things organized in a system, you can start looking at it externalized on a list and say, wow, I got a ton of stuff in my system. Do I want all that stuff in my system? Should I have all that stuff in my system? Um, so I've got, you know, kind of two stories to share with you here just to illuminate the point. Number one is many times when I see people starting to implement GTD, they lead with the tool. And, and you know, when I do coaching or do seminars, I tell a really bad analogy. It's like when, when I got married to my wife, that freed up so much mental space. I didn't have to think about dating anybody else. It just released this whole new energy. Now, I say the same is similar with GTD and tool selection. Because for a period of time, I was dating so many different tools, trying this one, leaving that one, trying this one, leaving that one. And I found that once I settled on not, not necessarily the tool, but once you settle on a tool, I recommend to folks, hey, just use this tool for six months and then start backing up into the thinking process and the behavior that will help you optimize the tool. Because once you do that, then the tool will start serving you instead of you serving it. So a really good example of this is I had a workflow client. Uh, this guy worked for a small private family company, and he was the executive at the company. Brought me in to do a two-day workflow coaching with him. So we took his whole office, put it in the inbox, processed it all, got it all onto his project list, next actions list, waiting for list, and got him squeaky, squeaky clean. He got off to a great start in GTD. He called me up two to three weeks later, probably three weeks later, and, and I said, hey, how's it going? He says, it's going great. The work that we did together was 
fabulous. And let me tell you what, I decided to leave the company. I'm like, what? <laughs> what just happened? And he said, Mike, the ability to process all that stuff, to get it out on my project list and see what I was working on, taught me, as I reflected against that, that it was all repelling me. And what I really want to do is I want to code. I'm a software engineer. I love to code. So I'm leaving the family business to go get a software engineer job. And I thank you for that. So the GTD approach allows you to externalize your thinking so a different part of your brain can show up. You can look at the patterns of what you're seeing on your list and then appropriately engage with that. You know, delete stuff, morph it into new stuff graph stuff onto it, but it's hard to do that when it's all in your brain. Your brain is a wonder, is super duper wonderful at pattern recognition. So the tools that you use simply are a means to help you get to the pattern recognition part of what are the projects that I'm working on? We call those desired outcomes. And what does doing look like? We call those next actions. So the more now you get into step number four of the five-step process, which is reflecting against what you've committed to. Many people don't even know what they committed to, the volume of what they committed to, all that kind of stuff. So in my GTD practice over time, that's one of the things I've had an opportunity to appreciate is saying yes to stuff and learning the art of saying no to stuff. But as I say no to stuff, I'm more aligned because I can see the patterns in where I desire to go. So you're always in this holistic system, responding to current reality, using your system to try to align to where you need to go next. I, I think it's just can't be said enough. If you wake up and you've got that, a lot of things on your plate, you have to be realistic about what you can do that day, or you're just going to end up the day disappointed and sad <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and frustrated. And you're going to think the system doesn't work for you and the world doesn't work for you because you're never getting anything done. And you have to make those tough decisions. I, I talk on the show about how I use a deferred kind of system where like I use deferred dates and OmniFocus as a means of getting things off the plate. If I wake up and I see that I have, 10 things on, on deck and I have time for five, I will pick five of the, you know, five that are, don't need to be critically done today. And I will give them a deferred date out into some time in the future. And then the way OmniFocus works and the, the things I said, they just disappear. How do you handle that when you wake up in the day and you see whatever it is that you've got on your list as a result of all this, this capture you've done? Um, so the, the order that I hit my system is number one, I look at my calendar to see what I've committed to for the day. So if you look at my calendar, I'm going to have time specific um, actions such as meetings or appointments. And then we've got day specific actions that you can put up, you know, kind of as the, as the free time all day events, but something you need to be done on that day, but it has to be done on that day. Like, you know, I need to register for a course because if, if I don't do it today, there's no way in heck it's going to, it's going to close and it's not even going to be an option for tomorrow. So that would be an example or day specific reference, you know, somebody's birthday or, you know, your confirmation number for a hotel. So that's the first thing that I look at. And then based on, on that view, I know how much free time I have to work on any other next actions. So some days there's no time because I'm wall to wall. Some days I have time. So when I have time in between those events, 
and I've got that white space now that I'm working in, I've got three options. I can choose to work off my next actions list and automatically you're going to be constrained by where you can do stuff. So that's why one of our suggestions is, you know, organize some of your work by context. So if I'm at the office, um, I'll look at my office stuff. If I'm at home and it's the weekend, I'll look at my home list. Or if I'm out and about, I'll look at my errands list. So that helps me select which task to do, which next action to do. Um, or if I'm in that, if I'm in that white space, so so that piece that I just described is called doing defined work. Now the other thing you can do with that white space is take 15 minutes to define your work, which is capture, clarify, organize. So you're building up your list. Or you might use that white space to do undefined work. So some some, you know, your daughter calls you from school. Uh, she just fell off the swing and you got to go pay attention to that. Well, that's not on anybody's list, but that's something you need to pay attention to. And the reason that the lists become important is, you know, your ability to walk away from your work and know how to walk back to it and be appropriately engaged. So that's the secret behind the list. It's not to be type A on all the time. It's the separation of the human being from the human doing. So the, your, your, your next actions list defines what doing looks like for you. And your ability to walk away from that list guilt-free and be spontaneous is awesome. And then your ability to walk back to it is what the list is there for. And, you know, so when I select what to do on my list, it's largely where am I? What do I need to do? What are my priorities for the week? Ooh, how did I set my priorities? They came out of the weekly review where I looked at the totality of my work and I could say, you know, these are the important things to focus on this week. I might even take another sheet of paper and write down these are the major focal points for this week to draw it out of OmniFocus to a nice piece of paper, concentrate on those, and then reconcile it all back into OmniFocus to make sure I have a next action if I left, you know, if I left something incomplete, say a project. Um, you know, you register back where you left off. What's the next action to move it forward next time you pick it up? So the, the system is always there serving you. Uh, hopefully, you know, instead of you serving it, going back to that point. How, if at all, does a calendar uh, come into play into your system? Do you actually schedule appointments with yourself um, or, or to schedule specific times to get certain tasks completed? Yeah, sometimes I'll schedule time. Uh, so here's a good example. One of my areas of focus at the company is business development. So when I'm working on my business development projects, some of those projects are, there's a lot of follow-up work involved in those projects. So I can look at my project list and see every next action that I had left for an account. And I can go back through it. And if I'm waiting for somebody, I can send them an email and, and follow up with them. Uh, or I can call somebody, or I can work on a proposal, whatever. I'm just driving down that list. So I might block out time to work on things based on certain areas of focus or certain project types. Um, but I, you know, I do that um, only for some major bucket things. Otherwise, I'm just continually snacking off the list and 
and monitoring my energy level. So if I'm brain dead, you know, the most productive thing I might be able to do at that point is put paper in the in the copier and put staples in the stapler. Um, or if I'm high energy, then I might look at one of the categories on my list and say, wow, I've got a, I've got a writing task. Boy, right now I'm feeling pretty good. I'm just going to spend like 30 minutes just getting all these thoughts out of my head on this writing task that seems to be higher energy for me. So it varies, but the, the secret of it all is, you know, kind of testing and finding what works for you. Yeah. What role does uh, deadlines and due dates and flags and those types of, of tools that give a task priority play in your system? In my system, they, they're almost non-existent. I use flags in OmniFocus, um, but I don't use due dates. Um, I don't use deadlines. And if I do have a deadline, I'll put it in the narrative of the task. Like I'll put a parenthesis and say, this is due on this date. Um, the reason I do that is to keep my systems really simple and, um, and not get uh, distracted by all the possibilities of all the fields and all the things I can do to sort the fields. And, and I've just learned for me and my system and, and please, everybody who's listening, this is just one dude's system. <laughs> and I've seen so many beautiful manifestations of GTD in so many yeah. different ways. Um, but for me, I try to follow the, the core advice is to keep it as simple as possible to handle the complexity of your world. That doesn't mean that using those fields are, are bad or wrong. They, they could be beautiful if you're ready to use them. No, no, no. And we're, we're just curious to hear how you do it, because everybody's got a different viewpoint. and and as a listener, no, I, I need those due dates in OmniFocus because I would commit malpractice within a week without them, you know, because there's certain things that need to get filed by certain dates. And I know GTD Canon kind of involves creating calendar entries for due dates. Quite often, a lot of people we hear from do that. And it sounds like you do as well. I think when you're talking earlier. Yeah. So, so our criteria of, of what works is, you know, is it working for you? GTD just is very agile in that way because everything's testable. And, you know, what's the amount of overhead? What's the amount of return that you're getting on it? If it feels a little too complicated, we'll ask you to back off and go simple before you go more complex. And doing that has helped unblock a lot of people who are blocked in their systems because the overhead to enter a task just got so overwhelming that their tool started to reject them. Now, in your case, what is clearly evident is you've got somebody who's very comfortable with technology. You've optimized the workflows. You're doing a great job and it's working for you. That's a higher level of integration. So it's perfect. And there are people on different parts of that journey. They're just not there yet, but they can get there if they want to. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Daylight. Daylight is a business productivity app for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. Daylight is designed to help busy entrepreneurs and teams organize the chaos of managing contacts, tasks, schedules, projects, new business opportunities, notes, and emails. And it does all of that in one application. Daylight is a native application, so your data is always available right on your device. When you do have an internet connection... Daylight syncs in the cloud across your devices and with all of your team. 
As a result, Daylight really gives you the best of both worlds. It's that native app experience along with an awesome back-end cloud sync. With Daylight, you can remember everything about a client by having a full history of the emails, calls, notes, and appointments for each customer. You can avoid meeting conflicts by viewing your whole team's calendar in one view and then scheduling a meeting. Daylight even integrates with Apple Mail so you can update customer information and set tasks and reminders and even add appointments to your calendar, all from within Apple Mail. With Daylight, you can automate lead generation from online web forms with the Daylight and Zapier integration. When someone fills out a form on your website through Google Forms or WooFoo, for example, a new contact and business opportunity are automatically pulled into Daylight. You can then segment leads for specific email campaigns and track all of your communications with them in Daylight. The long-term Mac users out there will recognize Daylight because they've been one of the premier developers on the Mac for many years. What's really impressive about this company is that they have made the jump to this cloud-based data model, while at the same time keeping the integrity of their original native application. If you're using Apple devices and running a team, or just looking at a better way to manage your clients and your business, you really should check out some of the amazing work Market Circle has done with Daylight. I love how when there's so much disruption going on in the software business, a longtime Mac supporter and developer like Market Circle can deliver the goods for its users. Best of all, if you let them know you heard about Daylight through the Mac Power users, you get a 50% discount off your first monthly subscription. Thanks, Daylight, for supporting the Mac Power users. All right. So, Mike, you wanted to talk a little more about going back into the brain and, and going back, I guess, into kind of your, your document store and, and where you keep these things. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah. yeah. What I um, wanted to do is go back into brain research. And, and there's some interesting stuff. So if I were to do uh, one of our executive workflow coachings with you, one of the things we would have you do is take something called a cognitive preference survey. And what a cognitive preference survey it, it reveals is how does your brain prefer to process information? And this thing can be found at a company called openbooklearning.com. There's a gentleman, Frank Sopper, who's the guru in this area. Wonderful work. So what it will... Uh, I can answer that question for Katie. It's going to be a very well-organized outline. Complete (laughs) ABC, one, two, three, very lineal. And for me, it's going to be like a bunch of note cards stuck on walls with string all across the room. It's going to have floating clouds everywhere that he's just going to daze lovingly into. Uh, It's going to look like the inside of the mind of an axe murderer. You got it. You got it. So what you're talking about there is one of the results that will come back is where are you in the associative scale and where are you on the sequential scale? So you'll score someplace between 0% and 100%. So if you're more associative, you'll be above the 50% line. And if you're more sequential, you'll be below the the 50% line. See, I'm going to be like at 99 and David's going to be at two. (laughs) So... So now here's what's really interesting is um, where you are based on that really impacts how the system feels to you. Because if you're associative, one of the things you're really awesome at is generating the ideas, putting up the note cards, doing mind maps and all that kind of stuff. And then when when it comes time to hold yourself accountable for the blowback of your own creativity, now you got to 
uh, shift gears and get out of that Ferrari of a brain that generated all that stuff. And it's almost like you have to get out of the Ferrari, climb over a fence and get on a tractor and start laying down the lines of defining what's the project, what's the next action to move this forward. So cognitively, there is a big shift that happens there. And once you lay down those lines, then you can pop back up and and be the Ferrari again and, and start doing the next actions and, and what you need to do to move that work forward. Now, on the sequential side, if you're higher on the sequential, uh, one of the things that uh, happens there is you, you definitely like order. You definitely like outlines. You like to know the authority by which this is coming to you and, and put it all together. Uh, sequentials actually are pretty good with technology, too, because they're used with to working through interfaces. So you know, there's rules to get through an interface to do some work. So that's something we pay attention to a lot. And then 2% of the population is something we call 50-50s. They, they use both these, the associative processor and the sequential processor. So it takes them a little longer to make decisions. But boy, can they really relate up and down to, say, executives and to, say, tech, technical people. I, I can actually see David being in that category. I think you, I think you're one of the two percent. Could be. I don't. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's like you know. I was listening to Mike talk about it. like I do spend a lot of time getting lost uh, when I need to like lay out a project. That, I think that explains one of the reasons why I'm so gung ho on templating and like trying to to offload that you know that the tractor driving as much as possible. Yeah. True. True. That that makes it more efficient. So so. Each of these, there's no right or wrong in any of these. It's it's more like being left-handed or right-handed. You have preferences towards things. It doesn't mean you can't dial up your sequential when you need it. Now, the other domains really kind of focus on your nervous system. So there's five different domains. Uh, people are get information through listening, uh, through moving, through observing, through reading, and through talking. So the listener through the ears, the mover through the moving of the large muscle groups, the observer uh, seeing what's around you, the reader. You know, we've got um, our contract lawyer at the David Allen Company gets a buzz. When she's stressed out, she'll read contracts because it relaxes her. <laughs> so she's really high on the reader. And then we've all met people who are probably high talkers and they, they need to talk to, to get things out. That's how they get things out. So, uh, so for example, my wife is a high talker. And since we both took this assessment, I can ask her, are you talking to me or are you talking to think something out? <laughs> and, you know, my ability to engage her. That, that must go over super well, David. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it does now because we have an understanding. Uh, so if I need to be tuned in, I'm tuned in. If she's just working something out, she's like, no, I'm just working something out. And then I can tune out. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. Just keep going about your business. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to go back to my office now. Um, but it was the, the lack of that understanding when I walked away or when I wasn't paying attention or something like that, which could cause the stress. So knowing that, knowing that profile for a person, what I've done is I've been able to like I have one CEO who's a very high observer and they run their GTD system on a spreadsheet. Why? Because he can lay it out on this big screen and see the totality of the pieces and that he sees how they relate to one another based on his algorithm on how he set up his system. Yeah. 
I have another executive who's a sport sporting goods executive. And what we did is we redesigned his whole office uh, from whiteboards to technology to stand up desk because he was a high mover, but he was sitting all day behind his desk. And as a result of that, he was creatively stifled because he wasn't engaging his brain in the optimal way. Why is this important? So when you think back into designing your trusted system, you want to honor these different pieces and, and try, to, try to design your system, not because David Sparks does it this way, Katie Floyd does it this way, Mike Williams does it this way. You're trying to test and design a system that works uniquely for you. And when you've done a good job at that, you don't think about your system anymore. You know, your system is kind of like a car. You get in your car, you go from point A to point B. Sometimes you don't remember how you drove there, but that's because that car is now part of your nervous system. You trust it. You trust the rules of the road. You don't have to overthink it. It's just natural. Yeah, and that, that would highly inform your decisions about how you implement anything. True. True. So, so I wanted to share, you know, the beauty of multiple, you know, ways to look at a GTD system, the beauty of your own particular brain and how it interacts with the world, and that there is a solution out there for folks that works. And, and a lot of it's just kind of training your nervous system to trust your system, whatever, whatever that trusted system is going to be in the end. I want to talk a little bit because I I know we're running a little short on time. I want to talk about uh, review, which is one of the next steps in the the GTD system, because I know that this is one that I personally have a lot of trouble with. And I've heard a lot of our listeners have say that they have a lot of trouble with review because I've got the stuff, I've captured it, I've put it in, I figured out where it goes. I, I just want to do the stuff. Why do I need to look at it again? So this is, this is, you're, you're not alone. I, you know, I'm in there too. I'm like, oh man, I got to do my weekly review. Um, but, you know, so it takes a little energy and time to get into it. And some of the uh, best practices are try to find a place that has minimal distractions. Uh, try to find, you know, a little reward for yourself in that place, you know, after you do your review those are all things to to jumpstart it. Maybe maybe bring a buddy and do a weekly review together. Now let's talk just a moment about the why of the weekly review. And let's let's put let's put some facts here about the weekly review. If you if you spend let's say you spend ninety minutes once a week doing a weekly review, and let's pretend you work a forty hour work week, that's only three point seven five percent of your time. Okay. And for that 3.75% of your time every week, you get a chance to push the world back. And if you imagine step one, two, and three, uh, capture, clarify, and organize, you can imagine you're writing and recording that writing into a book. Now, reflect is you're reading the book of your story. And you're looking at the projects and saying, here are all the desired outcomes I want to get to in my life. And you're reflecting against that and saying, how do I feel about that? Is it complete? Is there anything missing? Is there anything I'd want to add? You know, what's it showing me? And then, uh, then you go next and make sure that every one of those desired outcomes has a next action. Why? Well, the next action is the next step forward in creating momentum. 
So during the weekly review, you're just getting really clear that every single project has at least one next action. And the sole purpose of that next action is so you don't have to think about what doing looks like. When you, when you hit your list during that white space during the week, you just call up a list and say, I just need to draft something or I need to call somebody. And that's the next piece that will create momentum for a project. At minimum, just have one next action for every project. Some projects will have multiple next actions that are not dependent on each other. And then as you do this over time, what's going to show up is you become more comfortable, you become more aware, you become very conscious of the commitments that you're making. Because where a lot of people are feeling pain is that they're making commitments either with themselves or they're with others, and they're not fulfilling the commitment, and that's causing them grief. When you fulfill the commitment, you feel great, and that causes relief. So the weekly review allows you to look at the totality of what you got going on at the appropriate interval to help you catch up, clean up, and, and doing it weekly seems to be the appropriate you know, interval. There's no right or wrong. You can do it you know, a little longer if you want to. But I guarantee if you get 10 of those under your belt, you're going to be in a different place. And, and, and I can say that in words, but until you experience it, it's, it's, hard to, um, it's hard to really taste the juice of this. You know what I'd recommend, Kitty, is next time you feel stressed out, do a review. Absolutely. If you've got all your projects in a trusted system like OmniFocus or one of its competitors that you like, just do a review of all your projects. And afterwards, you feel better because <laughs> you're like, OK, I got this, you know, and um, that's the review. Um, do you use, Mike, any of the like one of the nice things about OmniFocus is that you can set review periods at different intervals. Like I have some clients where I have like a corporate general project for them and the inter the review interval for that for me by default is four months because i don't need to look at that every every week or even every month but if every quarter or every four months or so i just check in on it that's fine where i've got others that get reviewed every week sometimes even shorter um have you tried have you experimented with any of that i have I, i've experimented with uh, and i really do like that omni focus um, weekly review feature that they built in it's, it's beautiful but for me i've gone back to what i found is most important and appropriate to me is go through the the weekly review procedure that david had outlined and just do it in that order all the time and bake it into my nervous system so what that means if you're watching me do a weekly review is, you know, there's the first step is get current. You just dump stuff in your inbox. Uh, you process it to zero and then you do a mini mind sweep to see if there's anything else on your mind. Then when you get clear, you're going through your next actions, you're waiting for your calendar, your project list, and any other checklist that you've created for yourself that you want to look at once a week. And that right there cleans up your whole system. And that, that for me is the magic of the weekly review. And, and the way I have my projects um, organized in OmniFocus, I have folders by areas of focus. 
So, so I've got me as an individual, as a father, as a family and friends, community. And then I've got my professional work, you know, as a, as a board member, business development, speeches and training, that kind of stuff. And then you, inside that, you break it up into like separate folders or, or, or groups of projects. Yeah. Underneath each of those folders is just a group of, of projects. So if I look at me as an individual, first one that pops up, get a colonoscopy. All right. <laughs> That's my real life situation. So what's the next action? Look up providers online. So, um, so that's something I look at, uh, and that, that'd be something I look at in the weekly review, plus the uh, you know sixty to ninety other projects that are on my list. And so I just keep it really simple and just look at it from that perspective. And then the last step in the weekly review, which I've grown to appreciate over time, is you know get creative and get courageous. And I was like, what does that mean? And then um, what, what I found was once you get stability in the other areas and things get on cruise control, very interesting conversations show up with yourself. And in the week, these may be happening outside the weekly review, too, but I found it's, it's, it's a really good challenge and provocative question. Where do I need to be courageous? Where do I need to be creative and courageous? You know, am I in a place in my life where I've just been cruising? Do I need more challenge? Uh, what do I do for fun? What are my hobbies? Do I have any hobbies? Uh, uh, that kind of stuff. So that'll draw you into those conversations and and just help you kind of juice more out of life, uh, you know, as you've been practicing this over time. So the gentleman who designed the skin of the stealth bomber, he did his weekly reviews on a sun, Sunday evening in his office at home, glass of Chardonnay in his hand, jazz playing on the radio, cleaning up his system. So he created this beautiful space that he just loved to go to, a very creative environment. I have another uh, uh, client who is a senior minister at a church. He, the last place he could do his weekly review is in this beautiful office he had at the church. So he had to go... Uh, or he found a spot which was in his local library in the dusty reference section where nobody goes. And he gets a cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee and goes up there once a week and does his weekly review. And that's his sanctuary for the weekly review. So what I find is common for people that are doing really good weekly reviews is they've found a spot that they like to go to. They they have a routine and they just show up. And then over time, you can't imagine not doing that. And uh, so, you know, those are some of the, the things that I've experienced myself, I've seen in others. But if you think of the weekly review as the ability to edit your life and get current with your life, that kind of made me the storyteller of my life. And then I could look at all the actions and say, where is the superhero going next? <laughs> and then that would help form my direction for the next week. I want to take a moment to thank the Omni Group and their long-time sponsorship of Mac Power users. And of course, we have to talk about OmniFocus because this is the Getting Things Done episode. And OmniFocus is the app for your Mac, your iPhone, your iPad, and even your Apple Watch for getting things done. OmniFocus has been designed from the ground up to work with the Getting Things Done lifestyle. It's the app that David and I both use for getting things done. And if you're interested in using the GTD methodology and you want to do so digitally, I strongly encourage you to 
give OmniFocus a try. You can download a free trial of the app over at their website, omnigroup.com slash OmniFocus. And you can also learn more and watch some great tutorials. So let's talk a little bit about OmniFocus and how it can help you get more done. First off, there's the quick entry palette, and let's just call that your inbox. It's the fastest way to add an action on any platform. You can tap a keyboard shortcut with iOS. You can add actions using the system-wide share sheet. You can even add actions from mail using their mail drop function or using a third-party share sheet on iOS applications. Personally, my favorite way to add things to my OmniFocus list is to use my voice, and that is with Siri. So you can Ask Siri to add things to your reminders list, either on your phone, on your iPad, on your watch, and maybe coming soon on your computer. We'll see. Um, and that will let OmniFocus sync up with your reminders list. So anything that you add to that particular list will also end up on your inbox. Now that you've got everything added, it's probably time to actually get things done in OmniFocus. And there are great ways to get things done on OmniFocus. It supports 3D Touch on iOS 9 and on the newer iPhones. It also is beautiful. It's got a great interface so you can see exactly what's due, where it's coming from. You can add things in context. You can view custom perspectives and you can focus in and see exactly what you want to do. OmniFocus supports multitasking for iOS. It supports attachments. So if you want to add additional information to your to-do items. And recently they just added encryption to OmniFocus. So if you want to make sure that your to-do items and tasks are encrypted and can't be shared with anybody else because maybe you add some sensitive information in there, now you don't have to worry because they are end-to-end -end encrypted as well. You can find more information about OmniFocus, view a batch of tutorials, and see how other people are using OmniFocus with the GTD methodology by heading over to omnigroup.com slash OmniFocus. You can download a free trial for Mac, and when you're ready to buy, they have versions for Mac and for iOS both standard and pro, so I'm sure you'll find one that will suit your needs. So go check it out, and thanks to the Omni Group for their continued support of Mac Power users. So, uh, Mike, I know our time is winding down here, but you've you've helped so many people put together their own GTD methodology, you know, um, and you've seen it all, I'm sure. So let's talk a little bit about what are the common pitfalls, what are the common pain points, and how can people get through them? Very good. So, you know, the first common pitfall is I would just describe it holistically as just be kind to yourself. And as you learn a new practice, whether it's golf, tennis, you know, driving a car, it it doesn't feel natural at first. And you see this with golf pros, they have to change their swing and it just, you know, they their performance decreases and it increases. So, what I always recommend for, for my clients is let's, let's just enter a space of being kind to ourselves. we got enough going on and enough in life. And most of the people are attracted to GTD are those that are already doing really good work and highly productive. We just move them from a stressed state to more of a stress-free state. So point number one. Now, point number two, if I just go quickly through the five steps is, you know, with capture, you know, one of the... The best practices is to capture what's got your attention, get things off your mind. One of the worst practices is to keep things in your mind and and not offload it. Um, and that your brain is really good at pattern recognition, but it can only see it if it's outside of its mind. So, you know, recording on a piece of paper is a very strategic cognitive move. And then once you get that stuff out of your mind, like David said earlier, you got to empty that uh, inbox and process it through the clarify and organize uh, phase. So step number two is clarify. Um, this is this is a thinking process for GTD, and these 
once you get Clarify, you move from a point in life where you no longer have problems, you only have projects. And when I say that in the seminar, people are like, why? What are you talking about? Well, it's so true because it forces you to make a decision. Hey, this thing, something is on my mind for a reason. Do I want to take action on it? Yes or no. And that binary question is illuminating. I see people pause on that and go, hmm, <laughs> and you have to make the call. So, so the worst practice is not making decisions on the stuff you collected. The best practice is making decisions on the stuff you collected. Now, you, what do you do with the stuff that you said, yes, I need to do something with it? Best practice is organize it into a trusted system with meaningful buckets that map to uh, the complexity of your work. Um, some people have very simple project lists. Some people have very simple next actions lists, and that's beautiful. Some people have more complex lists. That's beautiful. But the idea here is set up a system that works for you. And I would recommend going as, as simple as possible at first and then add layers of complexity later. I think one of the things that people feel like is that they have to do GTD perfectly. And it's such an investment of time and attention and sometimes money for them to get into the the GTD system, what would you say to that? Is, is people feel like it's too much of a learning curve, so they just don't do it? Oh, my goodness. If people had that about golf or about tennis, nobody would ever play. Right. <laughs> so I say just get in and, and get messy and, and give it your best shot. You know, clean it up in the weekly review and, and try again next week. Clean it up in the weekly review and try again next week. Because through this cycle of practice, every time you practice uh, clarifying and organizing, you'll get better at it. You just will. It, it's it, you can't not. <laughs> and then, um, and then, feel free to fall off the wagon, and feel free to come back. We welcome you back to the wagon with open arms, and and welcome back, and and just get started and try again, uh, because the fruit of this is through the systematic approach. And once the systematic approach gets on cruise control, then it's then it takes up less of your attention and it just serves you. Then once you get to that point, it'll be less effort to maintain it and more joy in seeing what how it can serve you. Yeah, I'm reminded, I was speaking to a friend who's a, a Buddhist monk who is not from America, but has spent several years here. And I asked him, so what's your, you know, having been here now, what is your observation of Americans? I'm just curious what he thought. And what he said to me was, Americans have turned self-loathing into an art form. <laughs> and when he said that, I thought, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. Whenever we get into one of these things, the first thing we do is we blame ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We never give each other any, we never give ourselves any slack. I don't know why it is. And we have, uh, you know, a CEO that's a client of ours and off his executive suite office, he has a little Buddhist area to, to be and to practice. And he does GTD so he can be present. I mean, that's one of the outcomes of, of GTD is you don't have to carry all that stuff on your mind, like the monkey brain. And if you can tame the monkey, he can go in there and be one with his presence, uh, his practice, and then come back out and engage again. And it helps that particular area. So what are some of the other places people fall down on? 
Um, you know, certainly the weekly review and finding the spot in the weekly review. Um, you know, I think dating too many tools, which I already talked about, maybe stabilizing on a tool and then backing up and practicing the key thinking practices of GTD is a good place to start. Geeks aren't fiddly. That doesn't happen. <laughs> so, um, you know, stabilize, you know, work to stabilize your system for a period of time, and then you can add more of the components. Uh, and where else do people fall down? You know, I just think um, as you get into it, there's there's certainly other aspects of the system that we haven't even talked about, such as the natural planning model to clarify your thinking about projects um, and getting more juice behind why you're doing what you're doing. That's on page 60 of the new book. It's brilliant. And it took me two years to get to that. Um, but, you know, I would say the, the key thing is um, when I'm off my practice, things are creeping back up in my head and I'm holding them there. When I'm on my practice, I'm trying to get back to that space of a clear head and what David calls mind like water. And so I can sense a disturbance. And when I sense a disturbance, I can ask why, handle it quickly instead of letting it build up. Uh, and probably a closing comment is in one of my workshops, I had this woman who had something on her mind for 20 years. And you might appreciate this as a lawyer. Um, one, of, one of the things she wanted to do was create a will, create a will, create a will. So this little monkey was jumping around her brain for 20 years. And all we did is brought that little idea that was on a sheet of paper, clarified, hey, is this something you want to take action on? Yes or no? Yes. What's the next action? I'm going to post something on Facebook and see if my friends will help me with this. She did that at lunch, got it in motion, and she was tickled to have that thing off her mind and, and have momentum created for it. Well, if she's in Florida, I know a really good estate planning attorney I could refer her to. <laughs> That's exactly right. We'll get you connected. <laughs> so it's the little wins like that and watching people get stuff unstuck that's been stuck for a long time just through these simple questions, which brings me joy, not only for myself, but for others as well. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Um, before we, we close out, take just a moment and tell us a, a little bit about um, the website, about GTD Connect and the types of resources that are available there. Sure. So if anybody's interested in the work, you can go to gettingthingsdone.com. Um, on the website, you can sign up for our product, um, Productive Living newsletter that's at the bottom of the page. And then if you're interested in GTD Connect, uh, Connect is both a community and a learning library. So very active, a lot of forums, a lot of people um, describing their own practices in detail, as well as, you know, hey, I'm having a problem in this area. And we have coaches and our staff members, you know, interacting with these folks. Um, for example, tomorrow, wait, what's today? On Friday, I have an open office session just for Connect members, which is always a lot of fun that kind of stuff. And, and then if you're just out on the wild, wild web, you can say on Twitter, uh, David's at GTD guy, G U Y. And I'm at GTD MW for Mike Williams. So feel free to tweet at us there. That's a lot of fun. Um, but those would be the main tools, Katie. 
Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. And um, if people want to follow up or if they have questions or comments, of course, they can send that to us. Feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. We do have that uh, live show, and we'll try to get as many of those comments in as possible. Uh, we are also on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at Max Sparky. We will see you all next week.